Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Okay, guys, you ready? We're almost finished. Hallelujah. Yes. All right, come on in. Let's let's get started on Q&A. We'll do this uh, and go right into prayer. And I believe God is going to bring a fresh touch for simplicity. So simple and ease. So easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Oh, man, guys, I had so much fun with you today. I got so drunk today a couple times, really just toasted by the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Ghost. We love him. So a couple of rules. We do these all over the place, and people tend to be very similar. I could almost tell you the questions that will come. (laughs) Because humans are the same everywhere, whether they're in Colombia or they're in... It, you know, wherever, you, you pick it, Germany, Switzerland, wherever. It's all human condition. Number one, first rule is I only want to talk about things concerning the closet. If somebody asks me predestination or, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't even care. So <laughs> I don't want to talk about stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like theological issues, you know, is the devil in you, on you, or around you? Man, I don't care. You know, let's talk about the sweetness of his presence, okay? It's number one. Number two, when you ask a question, it's, it's time, it's a question. Some people love to take the opportunity to just teach everyone, teach everybody. And I get, I mean, it's sweet, you know, I'm kind, you know, they just want to help, I get it. But uh, just to keep it, you know, concise, when you have a question, just ask a question. Uh, number three, um, remember that when I answer a question, I may be wrong. Obviously. I'm not going to even pretend like what I'm saying is absolute truth, okay? It's my opinion. And so I don't want to come off as, as someone who, like the Bible answer man. I'm not a Bible answer man. You know, I just will give you my opinion. If the Lord uses it in your life, praise God, take it, run with it, use it as your own. But if it's something you don't really necessarily agree with, just let it roll off your back. Don't get mad at me. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not any kind of expert. You know what I mean? I just got captivated by Jesus one day. You know, you feel me? So I just want to say that because it's very important. Because sometimes when I answer somebody, you know, I almost feel like uh, they didn't really agree with me. It's okay. We don't need to agree on everything. It's fine. So when I give my answer... It's just my limited perspective, my small piece to the puzzle. There are so many different people here that have been walking with God for years, you know, faithfully, and they have, they're far more qualified to answer a lot of these things than I am. So I would just say that it's my small piece to the puzzle. Take it or leave it, okay? I just really feel that's the best way to, to start out the Q&A. And I always pray this just to let you into my heart. I always pray this before we do Q&As. I say, it, I say, Lord, give me humility because the, with the humble is wisdom. 
Proverbs says, with the humble is wisdom. So I say, oh Lord, please give me humility because it's the only way into wisdom, okay? So Lord, I pray, give me humility so as to deliver you as wisdom. Amen. Okay, any questions whatsoever concerning the closet, concerning experiencing God, concerning practical things at all? Let's get to it. Who wants to do the, there you go, okay. I thought I'd better get in there quick because as soon as they start, you can't get in there. Um, actually, I've got two questions, if I may. Sure. The first one, sorry to be greedy. The first one is, how do you do everything that you said and not fall asleep? That's a really, really great question. So I don't. I don't uh, have times where um, I have had many times where I have fallen asleep. It's definitely sometimes part of the deal. Scripture says that a deep sleep came upon several different instances in scriptures where God brought them into a dream. So sometimes the old Christian writers, and I I don't want to say mystics because that puts people off, (laughs) but they talked about something called mystic slumber. Okay, let me explain to you what they mean by this. And again, this is just going... We're going into a little, a little bit of depth here. You don't have to agree. It's fine. But some of the old mystics used to write about mystic slumber, and they believed that your body could slip into, in contemplation, slip into a place in which you're able to hear everything going on around you, but you're completely not conscious yet. You're, you're unconscious, but conscious simultaneously. How many know what they're talking about? Let me see hands. I want to see. How many know what I'm talking Yeah. So you're there, you're in the middle of just adoration. All of a sudden, you slip into this weird in-between. This in-between. Some people would call it a trance. Now, some people think trances are with their eyes open. Some people don't think that they're with their eyes open. It's all according to what different people have experienced. They write according to their experiences, so it's hard to draw a hard line on it. But Peter is praying on the rooftop, and while he's there, he slips into an in-between... State A trance is really a state of neutrality in which God can communicate something that might have otherwise been rejected. Peter was not for the Gentiles being clean. But in this state of neutrality, God slipped him into a vision and he sees that everything is clean. And he comes out, changes the entire Gentile situation, changes the entire world actually. To this day, you're here because of that vision. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? All of it goes back to there is that state of mystic slumber that a lot of people believe you can slip into. I've slipped into this many times. Most of the visions that I have had in my life come from slipping into this state where it's not necessarily sleep. It's like in between. Now, have I fallen asleep full-blown snoring? Yeah. 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 Especially when you, do, when you do like lockups for a long period of time. If you're going to pray for 12 straight hours, you're going to probably fall asleep at some point. You know what I'm saying? So I would not get frustrated with yourself. Sometimes, and this is just my personal opinion, sometimes I believe the Lord puts you to sleep because he knows how tired you are. And he knows your body physically needs rest. And he just puts you right to sleep. I'd rather sleep on God than not sleep on him at all. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, so I remember Michael Koulianos told me one time, he went into the closet, he said he was so tired, and he goes, Lord, I'm so tired, but I'm here. And I think that's the beauty of it all. It's like, Lord, I'm so tired, but I'm here. And sometimes he'll say, okay, lay your head on my lap, go to sleep. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not trying to say we go into the prayer closet to fall asleep. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying don't beat yourself up if you do. And watch, because you may not be sleeping. You may slip into a state of neutrality and in between in which God can communicate something to you. I'll tell you one thing that happened to me recently. I was locked in the, in the closet, and while I was there, I was worshiping, just literally lingering, and I slipped into this state. As a matter of fact, I just remembered there's a book written by Pennington called Daily We Touch Him. <laughs> Beautiful name. Daily We Touch Him. And in it, he says that scientists actually tested people who entered into meditative prayer, Christians, and when they did, their bodies and brains fell into a deeper sleep than slumber itself. In other words, a rest came into them that was greater than the rest that comes from actual sleep. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know. He wrote it in the book. I thought it was cool. So I share it with you. <laughs> now, uh, so I will say this. In this time, I was in between, and I saw the Lord walk up to me with a massive paintbrush dipped in red. He walks up to me like this, dragging this massive paintbrush. And once he gets up to me, he goes, slapped my face with a smile from ear to ear, a red paint smile from ear to ear. And he grabbed me by my shoulders. In this vision, this is, I'm in between. And he grabs me by my shoulders, and he says, Happily enjoy all the details of your life. And I felt as if what he was doing was smearing me with joy, which reminds me of the text. He has anointed Jesus. He anointed him with the oil of gladness. He smeared him. You know the word anoint means to smear. Jesus was smeared with the oil of joy. So I felt like what he was doing with me was he was trying to bring me into a greater place of joy in every aspect of my life, even the most mundane things, recognizing the joy in them all. So that happened to me, and something shifted on the inside of me from that day on. As a matter of fact, in many of the meetings, laughter started breaking out right after that in the meetings. It doesn't happen that much anymore, but it still does happen every now and then. But I think it all has to do with what happened to me in that state of neutrality where God smacked my face with the oil of joy that, that came about in a state like we're talking about. Do you know what I mean? So again, first of all, don't be condemned. Don't condemn yourself if you fall asleep in prayer. Jesus may just be giving you rest. As a matter of fact, one of the antidotes to falling asleep in prayer is get a good night's sleep. <laughs> I find that if you're going to wake up Early in the morning, it starts with first going to bed early. People want to wake up at 3 a.m. and do the first watch, you know, do the fourth watch, but they go to bed at 1. And it's like, bro, stop. <laughs> if, you're, if you're going to do the fourth watch, you need to go to bed really early. It's just simple. People love Brian Guerin because Brian Guerin gets up at the fourth watch, and he, he prays for two hours, then he goes back to sleep. And so he does this fourth watch, and people try to do the fourth watch with him, but they don't know. He goes to bed at like 8 o'clock. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't say that part, not that he's holding that back from them, but that's part of the thing that we, you know, we just don't think about. Because all we want to talk about is we got up early to see God. No, go to bed so you can see God. Do you know what I'm saying? So I'm saying all that to say, in my life it's happened many times, 
But also, another thing that helps in, in prayer, and I know many of you know this, and you'd probably say the same type of thing, is that if you start to feel tired, get up and begin to just move. And your blood will, will, will you know, kind of wake you up a little bit. Also, Ian Bounds, early church, uh, or early church, an earlier writer on prayer who wrote a masterpiece. You can actually get his complete works in the complete works of Ian Bounds. Outstanding stuff. He actually would drink a glass of water, force himself to drink an entire glass of water before every prayer time because he felt like the water going in caused him to wake up. And another one, Robert Murray McShane, wonderful uh, Scottish, I believe, pastor. Was he a Scottish pastor? Yeah, Scottish pastor. He would wake up in the morning and start his prayer with a song. So he started his prayer life Probably was something like this. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. My great redeemer. He's bringing himself to, he's awakening himself. Awake, awake, oh sleeper. You know, he's waking himself up. So anyways, those are just a couple of practical keys. Don't condemn yourself if you fall asleep. You may not be sleeping. You may be in mystical slumber in which is a state of in between. Get up and walk around if you start feeling sleepy. Go to bed early if you're going to wake up early. And then lastly, you can drink a glass of water or do something as practical as singing a song to get yourself riled, you know, just get your blood flowing. Do you know what I'm saying? Those are just a bunch of just ways to answer the question. What's your second question? Eric, that was brilliant. Thank you so much. I don't think I've ever had such an amazing full answer. Um, thank you. The, the next one is um, perhaps a little deeper. I'm not going to be the last, the only one here. Uh, so how do you um, get into a state of adoration if actually you feel love, you've been hurt in the past in a relationship, and actually looking him in the eye is almost too not too painful but it's just you can't quite do it yeah so that sounds that sounds to me as if the greatest thing you can do to heal those wounds is is to take that time to look at only looking at him can heal those wounds and so i would say i haven't had the experience that you've had but i know this he is the only one that can mend the broken heart. I know that he alone is close to the contrite, those that are broken. He pulls close to them. So I can assure you, based upon the scripture, that he is near to you. And that even in the midst of a broken heart, it's simply giving him attention. That is your only remedy. You know, he alone can put honey on the wound, you know, and and heal it up. So if it causes you to have a difficult time, I would take it, I would go low and say, Lord, I'm having a very difficult time because of this pain. You bring the pain right up to him and you say, as vulnerable as possible, Lord, I can't even look at you because I'm, you know, you just, you're you're laying it out in front of him. I think there's something about that transparent honesty that pulls him towards you. You know, I think the Lord resists the proud, you know, like I got this, I don't really need you to handle this, let's move on. If that kind of mentality makes him put his foot on the door and say, no, you're not coming in here. He, he won't have anything to do with it. He hates pride. So I think the humblest thing to do is say, oh, Lord, here I am broken and I need help. I think that's part of the very beginning. God, I need help. I'm hurt. I'm still hurting. 
and I thought you healed me, but I feel as if I'm not. Tell me what's going on. You know, just this internal stuff, just bare before the Lord, laying every, taking everything out of the pockets and laying it all on the table and say, here's everything. Do you know what I mean? So that's the only encouragement I have. I'm sorry that it's so incomplete, uh, but I, I give it to you. Let me just pray for you. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you are the good bridegroom. You are a good father. You're a wonderful husband. And you are the best of friends. Precious Jesus, I ask you even now to hold your precious daughter in your arms and drain out all the pain and all the hurt, even its memory, let it go, Lord. In your precious name, amen. 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 What's the, what's the next question we got here? Um, you mentioned earlier that you're in a Bible school. Yeah. I'm in one right now, and it's work-wise, it's really intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I'm just asking for advice on, yeah, because coming here, and I was explaining to people who, like, why I wanted to come, and I was, I remember I've heard the idea of, I want to know, and I want to fall in love with the author of the Bible and not just know it. Yeah. But I'm kind of, I don't know how to put these two pieces apart of doing a lot of work, yet at the same time communing with God. Yeah. Because um, a lot of times I'll sit and do my work, and I'm like, I just want to worship him. But I'm like, oh, no, I have to do practical things too. Um, and then you mentioned about prayer and fasting, which is kind of new to me. So just any advice, I guess, about yeah. being in a Bible school that's pretty intensive. Sure. I would say after establishing the reality of love exchange with God, the next thing would be to recognize it is the joy of sons to steward well what their fathers give them. So what does that mean? That means God has put you in this school, and he's expecting you to steward well what he's given to you. So now, by your enjoyment of him, you, through that enjoyment, are empowered to be the best student. Because you're able, by the enjoyment of him, to be able to steward well what your father has given to you. And so I encourage you to recognize he's not apart from your work. He gave the work to you. And that when you recognize that, it switches the whole ballgame. And you begin to say... I am glorifying God by doing my best in this work while remaining in an abiding presence. Do you know what I'm saying? And so you, if I was you, this is what I would do. I would look at my day and I would find the sections where I could come away. Like right now in my life, I tried to find three times a day to come away. To pray in the morning, to pray in the afternoon, and pray at night. There's been different times where I did different things, but that's where I am right now. So I look at my day, and I find the slots where I can just get, get along with him and just enjoy. Yeah. And so I will encourage you, look at your day and find the places where you can come away and just enjoy him, no other agenda. And then from there, go right into the wonderful stewardship of these things that God has given to you. 
You know, I, I sometimes, we just bought a house, our first house, and I have to, no one else in the house will clean up the dog poop in the yard. <laughs> and sometimes when I go out there and I think to myself, man, I'm going to kill this dog. <laughs> I remember this is my house that the Lord has chosen to gift to me. Let me take care of it. And so I go now and I clean up the dog stuff (laughs) with a joy of taking care of what was given to me. This doesn't belong in my yard. No. Because God has given me this house. Do you understand? So in the same way, you take... That's a very small and a a very bad comparison to what you're going through with loads of work. (laughs) I apologize. But the principle remains the same. So look at your day, find where you can come away, and then from coming away, enjoy the task the Father has given to you. And you'll find He begins to speak to you through your work. I've been in times where I came out of being with the Lord, and I went to help my daughter with her boring history homework. And I read a, a, a statement like economy. And I'm like, what does economy even mean? I look it up and I see it is literally the 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 distribution, reception, and giving of a thing. And I'm like, whoa, Christ is God's economy. He is the means by which God distributes and what we receive, and he is what is distributed and what is received. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm getting the word of the Lord through helping my, my daughter, you know? So I say this to say, you'll begin to see that his voice pops even in the midst of your work. And when you feel down and like, you don't feel inspired and you feel like you're just overcome, you just go away for a little while. Lord, I'm just going to take this next 20 minutes and just worship you and adore you. I need help. He knows all these things. All he's wanting is to be wanted. Many times he just gets buried along the way and we're just like, oh yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. I got it. But all he's really looking for is someone who will want him to even help him with, help them with the smallest things. You think about David in the scriptures And like, even when he knows he should go fight, he goes to the Lord and he says, do we fight? (laughs) Of course you fight. They stole your wife and your kids. Go kill them. But But he still asks the Lord. Because God, David recognizes that God only wants to be wanted. And you see that when you include him like this, you'll be able to be guided by him in, in a very intimate and special way. So that your times of study can actually be, you can weep on your book. With love. You probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, so anyways, that's, that's what I give to you. I pray the Lord use it. If it's, if it's good for you, then take it. If, if it's overboard in any way, just, just let it go. It's fine. Um, hi. Um, my question is kind of similar, but in a different context. Sure. Um, I'm, I've got two small children um, and my closet time is mostly shared or doesn't exist. Um, so how do I do that? Yeah. How do I manage that? Yeah, sure. So uh, I get this a lot, obviously. Um, I'll say a couple of ways to touch on it. The first thing that I would choose to say is that whatever you do have and you choose to give it to him, he recognizes where you are. He knows you got kids. It's not, you know what I mean? It's like not a mystery. Like, oh, snap, she's got kids? You know what I mean? 
where's this joker coming in here? You know, he's not, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's not, he knows what's going on. You know what I mean? So he feels you and he feels your desire for him and your desire to come away. So whatever you do have, you give it to him to just enjoy him. And you'll find that that becomes a platform to abide in him. See, the secrets of the abiding place come from the secret place. So your strength in abiding comes from the strength of your secret place. If you'll take time to come away, you'll learn slowly what you have to do rapidly out here. In private, you learn how to walk slowly and dance slowly with the Lord so that when you're in public, you're able to just, you know what I mean, do it, do it quickly and move quickly. But if you don't learn how he moves here, then it's very difficult to move with him up here. People lose him out here. You know, that's why people have such a gap between their natural life and their closet life. It's because in their closet life, they're not really experiencing the sweetness of the Lord. So therefore, when they go out here, they lose him. They're like, I don't even know where you went. Where are you, God? I'm collapsing here. You know what I mean? And then they fall down in repentance, and they get back up again, and the Lord always comes, and he cleans you off. And he says, let's start again, buddy. You know, so this is just how he is. I would say that's the first thing. Second thing, now I'm going to take it away from you and talk about other situations I've come into. So this is not directly at you. This is just other situations that I've come across. Now, Daniel Kalinda and I were together, and I received an email from a mother that was rebuking me like crazy for encouraging people to spend large quantities of time with God. And she tore me to pieces about how I don't understand and how you don't have four kids and all this kind of stuff. And she even quoted like Susanna Wesley and she pulled out some old, you know, mystic quotes from Madame Guyon, abiding in God, all this kind of stuff. The letter was so well written, I literally thought to myself, she could make this a booklet against me. And it would start a movement against Eric Gilmore. This is so good. And then my second thought was, this must have taken her about an hour and a half to write. Hmm. And so I looked at Dan and I was like, I guess she's, she's got an hour and a half to talk to me, but not an hour and a half to talk to God. <laughs> and I find out that a lot of people that say they don't have time they know a lot about, I don't know what the, the shows are here, but I know they know a lot about dancing with the stars. <laughs> but when it comes to, you know, the, the taking time to be with the Lord, it's not there. Do you understand? Yeah. I'm not trying to say, you know what I mean, you shouldn't watch Dancing with the Stars. That's not what I'm saying. <clears throat> what I am saying is that priorities start to show themselves by your calendar more than our, our mouths, right? So get, Daniel Kalinda said this. This is what he said to me that it was so powerful. He said, if I gave her $2 million, 2 million pounds <laughs> to pray for an hour and a half for a week straight, do you think she would do it? I said, absolutely, because the value of money is great to people. If I gave you $5 million to spend two hours a day in prayer for five days. Do you think you would do it? You'd make it work. You'd make it work. It just means that our value of money is greater than our value of God. The reward of prayer is God himself. The reward of worship is God himself. 
And if God is not a great enough enticement to the closet, then we'll find all kinds of other things to do. I'm not trying to say you can't do anything else. That's not what I'm saying. I love watching YouTube videos. I'm a, I, 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 we've got all kinds of things in our lives that are you know, things we like to do as a family and stuff that have nothing to do with actually just sitting quiet before God. I can do them in the sweetness of his presence, but they're not the same as being locked in a closet. Do you understand what I mean? And I'm saying God is not trying to rid you of every last thing except for time in his presence. He wants you to begin to live your life in his presence so that he infiltrates while you pump gas. I remember Todd White said one time, he goes, I can't pump gas without Jesus. <laughs> and uh, when, he, when he said it, this girl in Cincinnati, she's so sweet. This girl in Cincinnati says, when he said that, I didn't know what he meant. She's like, I can pump gas without Jesus. You just put it in, you just, hold. I can do that without Jesus. She didn't understand. And then one day her kids were running around and she was trying to fold laundry and it was getting so hectic, she got to her end. And she took one of the towels and she put it over her head. And she goes, kids, mommy just needs a minute. She put it over her head and she began to worship the Lord. And she said, I can't fold laundry without you, Jesus. <laughs> and in that moment, she knew exactly what Todd was talking about. She goes, then I realized, I understood. Can I say, tell you one more story about a woman that said something to me? My life has been changed by women, 100%. More so than men. Praise God for men. But there's something about a woman that grabs God. <laughs> Madame Guyon, I mean, she would just go down the list. Anyways, this one woman says like this. She says she had been battered and bruised in so many bad relationships. And she was alone with God, and she wanted a husband. She had kids and you know, she's divorced, hurt. And she says to the Lord alone, she goes, Lord, I, I want a husband, but who will want me? After all that's in me and all that's happened to me, who will want me? And she heard a voice behind her. And it said, marry me. It was Jesus. He spoke to her and he says, if you're going to marry somebody, why don't you marry me? And I thought it was just so beautiful. And she started a ministry after that called The Bridal Company. And talking about all those, she goes to different places and she, t she brings people to the point where Jesus says, marry me. And she calls people to the front, who will marry him? Oh, it's beautiful. Anyways, I just thought, I'd just insert that in there. <clears throat> but so back to the original question, I would say take whatever you've got and give it to him. And in giving that to him, he'll help you abide in him. And you'll find the sweet dependency that releases the actual sense of his presence. Dependency is the key. Andrew Murray said this. Remember the one condition. Habitual, unceasing, absolute dependence upon him. So that's what I would say. Yeah. Praise God. Take what you want. Felt like some of us was off. It's fine. Wonderful. Eric, I'm afraid. Just, I don't even want to answer your question. <laughs> I just wondered what you thought about predestination. <laughs> <laughs> but I've not been predestined to ask you. So, uh, First of all, we love having you in England. Thank you for coming to England. We really appreciate it.
um, right now we're burning your passport so you can't go home. Uh, two, two questions, but I'll try and make them one just for the sake of time. And these are things I think people ask, but they're things that I also struggle with as well. Uh, one is to do with feelings. So you do get people who who feel God's presence and other people for whom that's a kind of a, I don't know what you're talking about sure. type thing. And the second is, and not so um, dissimilar to it, is a lot of us have been impacted by your teaching about Mary of Bethany yeah. uh, in all manner of ways on YouTube or at, or at CFAN or whatever. And the example of Mary is one really who doesn't do a lot of talking. It's Jesus who does the talking. So just bringing those two things together um, uh, in your experience and in the experience of people that you've met as yeah. well. Uh, 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 what's, the, what's the necessity for feelings that people have? Will, will I go home and sit in a chair and feel God or not? And, and to what degree should I be doing the talking? Yeah. Or is this a silent, you know, does stillness also involve me just listening to him? Oh, I love it. So feelings have got to be rightly defined. Because when somebody says we, we don't walk by our feelings, that's right in one respect. If you think feelings is like feelings, like on your body or your emotions. If you think you're governed by your own emotions or you think you're governed by what you can feel on your body, that's a wrong statement. But to say we're governed by our feelings and you define feelings as your spiritual perception of God, then that's 100% accurate. Because how else can the sons of God be led by the Spirit if they can't even see Him? How do you be led by the Spirit if you can't sense what He's doing? Do you know what I mean? How can you be led by somebody if there's no perception of them? There has to be perception in order to even walk with somebody. If Jesus says, follow me, following Him means you have to perceive Him in some way. Do you understand what I mean? So on the one hand, if you are an emotional person and in a situation your emotions are getting the best of you, you don't let your emotions rule you. You submit your emotions to God. And in submission of your emotions and your mind to God, that's faith. Faith is I submit my mind to God. And then through this faith, you enter into the realities of the Spirit. What we see Paul is trying to encourage the, the, the Galatians with is that there is a life in the Spirit that is entered through faith. And so through faith, you enter into the life of the Spirit. But what we've taught in Christianity is that faith means you don't need the Spirit. In other words, if you have faith, you don't need a perception of God. No, no, no. Faith taps you into the perception of God. You get the actual realities of God's voice and His presence through laying everything down at his feet in faith. But before that faith is entered, people try to rule themselves by what they feel in their, their emotions. Do you, do you understand what I mean? So I would say this. Now, again, I'm not the final voice on this, but I would say that the majority of my relationship with God has nothing to do with my body. My body has very little sense of God. Very rare do I sense something on my body. I do feel something like 
on my chest at times when I pray, but the majority of the time there's not burning in my hands or tingling on my... I've had sensations like this in the past, but those are not what I'm talking about when I talk about perceptibility of God. God has implanted a faculty inside of me now that was not there before by which I can perceive Him. And I'm learning to use this. This is why Paul says that we need to have our spiritual senses trained. So you're training your spiritual senses to be able to discern what is good and bad. What is good and bad? Good means something comes from God. Bad means it does not come from God. So discernment of good and bad means being able to decipher origin. Is this from the Lord? Is it not from the Lord? That's what deciphering good and bad is. It's so that I, through my training of spiritually perceiving the Father, I'm learning how to discern the origin of different things. The origin of this feeling, the origin of that feeling, the origin of this destination, the origin of this instruction, the origin of this inspiration, the origin of that inspiration. Are you, are you following me? So, but here's the problem. So many of us have developed our five senses so much that we let our five senses rule us more than our spiritual senses. Our spiritual senses are so weak because of... In, lack of use, that our spiritual, our natural senses override and actually dumb down the, the spiritual senses. But taking time to be with God, we train the sweetness, that, uh, that, that internal perceptibility of God. And what God wants to do is to lift this above your natural senses and become the ruler of your life and not these things. That's why Paul says things like this, my body does not rule me. Why did he say, when did he say that? He goes, I beat my body and make it my slave. In other words, simple as can be, my physical senses do not run my life anymore. I'm run by a higher state of existence, which is the spirit man who lives on the inside of me. That's why he says things like this. Those that are led by the spirit, these are the sons of God. So in other words, the senses being trained, being led by the spirit, hearing God, perceiving God, empowerment from God, all these things come through faith. That's the new covenant. Right desires even come from the new covenant. Through faith, you tap into them. So all this is saying you have to rightly define what feelings are. If you think feelings to be what we knew feelings to be before being born again, you cannot let them rule you. They're absolutely ridiculously off base. They will always lead you towards self-consciousness. They're all about self. The body is all about itself. But through faith, you tap into new feelings. As a matter of fact, let's just go there. Ready? The kingdom of God is two-thirds experiential. How do you figure? The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of righteousness, peace. Can you feel peace? Who wants a peace you can't feel? You want a peace you can't feel? Let me see. Who wants a peace? Who wants a joy that you can't feel? Okay. The fact that joy is even mentioned eradicates the whole doctrine or teaching that you can't feel the Lord. The fact that joy unspeakable and full of glory is in the text and peace that passes all understanding destroys the fact that there's no feelings, but we have to rightly define the feelings. The Bible even tells us in Proverbs 8 that wisdom, all of her paths are peace. All of her paths are peace. She leads you by peace. Here's another one. Colossians 3.17 says, let, let, that's a permission word, the peace of God arbitrate your heart. What does arbitrate mean? Literally guide. 
Let the peace of God guide your heart. The spiritual perception of God is now the means by which God governs your life. That's why he gave you new life, is so that he could now govern your life by quickening you to life, to be able to follow him in your life. This is the new life. This is, this is Christianity. Otherwise, we're just as dead as everyone else who's got their book. Do you understand? Every religion has their book. Every religion has their faith. But we have the ability to perceive and know God. So, feelings rightly defined are by faith you experience the new faculty of spirit-to-spirit fellowship with God. God's looking for people who will worship Him in spirit. We need to learn how to use our spirit, man. How many of you know that you can look around with your spirit? Man, let me just go. Can I just go a little, a little deeper on this? Is that okay? You are simultaneously dwelling in two places. It doesn't matter what you think. You are. The Bible says you are seated within. You're simultaneously here and there. You are a priest. Do you know what a priest is? A priest is, the word priest comes from the word pillar. A pillar is, in, is up top and touching the ground. It goes from the ground to the top, from the top to the ground. You're a priest. You touch the heavens and you bring them to the earth. Wow. You're on the earth and you go into the heavens. Wow. You're simultaneously a priest. You go there, you're here and there simultaneously. And at any moment, there is a current flowing on the inside of you that has been given to you by drinking the Holy Spirit. That current and river that flow. As a matter of fact, Jesus says rivers out of their belly, out of your belly will flow, flow rivers. It doesn't say a river. It says rivers, which is a confluence. Many rivers coming together in one spot, and that spot is you. And so at any moment, you can turn attention to the river and experience the river and actually look through the river. What do you mean, Eric? I mean, I can look at somebody, and as I'm looking at them, turn attention to the sweet internal river and prophesy over their life. Now, as I do this, I'm learning more and more how to decipher what is from the Lord and what is not. This is you're practicing things. So all this to say, your simultaneous dwelling means whatever one you're more aware of is the one that will govern you. If you're more aware of your bodily dwelling more than your spiritual dwelling, then you'll become a natural person or a person who is carnal. But if you'll be aware of what has been given to you by the cross, which is the rejection of the old and the receiving of the new through faith then you will have the spiritual perception that is able to guide you and and guard your life. Guide you and guard your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, this is not something that immediately when a person gets born again, they know all this stuff. I'm growing in it. I feel brand new in it. And so I've been saved since 1996, and I've been trying to go deeper and deeper in God for for all these years. And in the midst of these lockups and taking time, I'm learning more and more about how much is not developed in my life. I'm continually finding over and over again how immature in the spirit I am. And I, and I realize it and say, oh, God, I need you. And so I say all this to say, no one's got this thing completely mastered, but this is what we're doing now. We're, we're now learning how to use the spiritual man and move around in this place that is Jesus. He is that realm. That whole realm is him. You know what I mean? So... We're not governed by our feelings, but we're governed by our feelings. We're not governed by the feelings of the flesh. We're governed by the spiritual perception of God. Does that make sense to you? Now, the second question, I forgot what it was. Oh, yeah. Yes, okay. So one of the early Christian writers that I like a lot is St. John of the Cross. 
Anybody ever heard of St. John of the Cross? There's a book I would pick up if I was you. It's called The Fire Within. It's by Thomas Dubay, and he takes Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross writings on devotional experience of God, and he puts them all together in one book, and he kind of commentates on it as he goes through. It's a masterpiece. They give it away, actually, in the bookstore at IHOP. Uh, some of my friends have told me, which is pretty cool uh, because it's, it's really deep. One of the things that he says in there is that your experience with God is not just an experience. It's a union. Union is through experience, which is very in keeping with Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is a continuous experience of love. In the end, they're one. You know, this union through experience, experience and union. So one of the things that he says in this book is they talk about something they labeled the prayer of the heart. The prayer of the heart is what Madame Guyon called quietude, which is the internal stillness set upon God. Madame Guyon said this, prayer is simply the application of the heart to God. Just simple as that. Henry Skugel, the writer of uh, the, the Life of God and the Soul of Man, he wrote, prayer is simply a state of the heart. That's beautiful, isn't it? John Bunyan, who's buried, you know, in central London. I went over to his grave. He said, prayer is a sensible feeling in your heart. That's beautiful, isn't it? And Evergrius Pontigus, early Christian writer, said, prayer is intercourse of spirit with God. All of this stuff has to do with heart. It is the heart set upon him. This is how Paul can say, pray always, unceasing. He's not encouraging a life of jibber-jabber. You know, just walking around saying stuff all the time, saying stuff all the time. He's encouraging your heart to be always connected to God. Charles Spurgeon said his life goal was to live in unbroken communion. Oh, that's beautiful, isn't it? Communion that never breaks. Oh, this, this makes my heart sing. And so I say this to say that I find that prayer and words are a lot like air in the earth. What I mean is the higher you go, the less present they are. The higher you go, the less air there is, right? In the same way, the higher you go with God in prayer, the less words there are. You begin to just get taken with him, raptured, R-A-P-T, wrapped and his sweetness. I once wrote a poem that said, I can hear the waves crashing on the shore, but when I proceed to the depths, I can hear them no more. And that's the beauty of prayer. It's like it starts off, Lord, I bless you, I worship you. Then before you know it, you're just, you're in the higher state of prayer. Richard Wormbrand, 14 feet beneath the earth, seven years in solitary confinement. He said that in his chains, he turned them into tambourines into God. He said that you think that we were without, or you think that we were in hell. He says, but we were, we were not in hell because hell is to be without God's presence. Isn't that beautiful? That's a great definition for what hell is. It's to be without pre God's presence. Most Christians live there without the experience of God's presence. They wonder why their lives are hell because there's no actual reality of God's presence in their lives. Richard Wormbrand said, you think we were in hell? He says, but we were held in the caresses of the bridegroom. We knew his kisses. 
And this wonderful man who wrote this, he said this, the highest form of prayer that I know of is a quiet heart beating unto God. Oh, that's gold, guys. That is gold. The highest form of prayer that I know is a quiet heart beating unto God. Man, I love that. You know, people say, do you, do you feel the Lord all the time? Listen to me. My heart is always beating in my chest, always. I may not always feel my heart beating in my chest, but at any moment, if I just give attention to it, I can feel my heart beating. So it is with the presence of God. The presence of God is always there. You may not always feel it, but at any moment, if you just stop, you'll sense his sweetness. He's right there. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, yeah, so I hope that, that kind of answers the question, you know, you know, as a whole. Just the prayer of the heart this is what God wants anyways, you know? Yeah, la- last question, and then we'll, then we'll pray and we'll be done. I got in just in time, last question. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, could you ex- expound a bit more about practically how it plays out Um, you shared about um, being at a place of uh, uh, poverty and then coming into a time of stillness Mm -hmm. and adoration um, into a time of uh, manifestation of his Mm -hmm. presence. How does this play out practically when you come into that place? Um, Earlier on you mentioned about how we divide our time, you, you use the example of saying we would, we would come in with all our requests. Yes. Yeah. And then maybe at the end, think about adoration and then we move on with our day. But now what I've learned is from, from what you're saying, flipping it around. So from that time where you go into adoration, how do you then share your time in terms of going into now, say, praying for some of the practical things yeah. in terms of maybe you want to pray for the church or sure. praying for your own direction for your work or life or business or family. Yeah. How, how does that play out from a practical? Yeah, uh, great, great question. I, I really like it. So for me personally, I am jealous to keep everything out of my personal sweet exchange with him. But... I find that 90% of my prayers vanish while I'm there. I can't even remember what was so important to me. And then I find something else happens. He begins to share with me what he desires for me. And a lot of times they're linked with some of the things that were on my heart as well. So I find that I link into his prayers for me by laying on his heart. It's almost as if I find what his heart beats for by laying on his chest. And then that heartbeat that I find by laying on his chest begins to come out of me. So I find that prayer then begins to be like a union, like a precipitation almost. You guys remember precipitation from like grade four or something? The rain falls down from the heavens. It gets to the earth. And then in time, it evaporates back up to the place from whence it came. This is the beauty of divine precipitation this is intercession it came down from him and then through time in the sun through time in the sun 
it evaporates back up to him. And I find this is the purest form of prayer where I let his presence evaporate all the stuff that wasn't on his heart so that I can pray only what's on his heart by feeling his heart as I lay my head on his chest. So that's how it, how it works with me. I'll give you one example from scripture. And then, um, you know, again, I mean, you guys have been seeking the Lord, I'm sure, for, for years, and you have different ways that the Lord has shown you different things. I just give you my, my, my side. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham is sitting at his tent uh, entrance? Do you remember this? And what does he do? He lifts up his eyes and he sees three people. He sees the three people. He throws himself down when he sees them. After this, he eats with them. And then after they eat together, two of them go and one remains. And this is, we know, to be God. And while they walk together, God says this insane statement. He says, shall I hide from Abraham the things that I'm going to do? This to me is absolutely incredible. That God, who is apophatically unknowable, all by himself, in a category all by himself, knowing all things, says to himself about his friend, I don't want to hide from him what I'm going to do. So he tells him what he's going to do. And this information... Abraham sees as an invitation for prayer. And Abraham begins to say, Oh Lord, if there's ten, will you, will you spare the city? If there's five, remember? And he intercedes and he saves Lot's life by intercession. But the intercession came by invitation. An invitation came when he entered into that place of communion with him. How did he enter into that place of communion? I'll just give you a couple symbols that I really find interesting. He's sitting. That's, that's really cool, isn't it? That's rest. He lifts up his eyes. We know from David that that's worship. And when he lifts up his eyes and he worships, he sees. Worship is the place of seeing. It is in the process of being worshiped that God communicates his presence to men, C.S. Lewis said. So as he lifted up his eyes, he sees, and when he sees, he throws himself down. It takes him into a deeper place of humility. He goes down low. And then through this humility, he's able to enter into communion where they eat. And then in the eating communion right after this, God unveils his heart to Abraham. As a matter of fact, before he even tells Abraham the things that he's going to do, he tells him, talks to him about himself. He reminds him and encourages him of all the things that he has for him. And this is what God will do. In that sweet place of communion with him, he will build you up and encourage you. And then he'll let you see his heart. And that information is an invitation for intercession. So I find for me that this is the beauty of how God works in my own personal life. So that communion is first and the platform upon which he builds everything else. Everything else flows forth from this place is that he is first. You are more important to me than even the things I need from you. And even looking at you helps me purify all the stuff that I thought I wanted. You know? So this is just how I see it. Is that, is that a... Yeah, okay. All right. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www dot kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes, 
We would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.